This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. So we've moved from the age of information to the age of communication, whether it's social media, uh, email, text, uh, whatever it is, it is communication. It is all about communication. And one of the biggest things we learn as business owners and investors is that uh, our communication is not always as effective as we would like it to be. And we know that because as uh, my friend Robert Kiyosaki always says, communication is the response you get. And if you're not getting the response you want, perhaps it's a function of your communication and not the person that you're sending the communication to. So today I'm very, uh, very happy to have an expert in effective communication, Todd Rogers. And Todd uh, has written a book, Writing for Busy Readers, which I, I love the idea because it is short and it is sweet. And we're going to talk about short and sweet a lot today, I think, um, having having read uh, some of Todd's work. And Todd, uh, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, Tom. And if you would, give us a little of your background and why this topic now. Sure. I am a professor at Harvard University. I'm a psychologist slash behavioral economist. So sort of the cross between these fields working on how do we communicate so busy people read and respond to what we write? Uh, and in various stages of the last 30 years, worked on how do we communicate to busy voters or how do we communicate to busy families on behalf of school districts? And then for much of the last five or six years, working with electeds and state and local leaders uh, how do we communicate with busy constituents and stakeholders? And in the process, uh, learn that there's a handful of principles for how do we write for busy readers. So you do talk about the difference between effective writing and good writing. And uh, the, the, that effective can be different uh, than good writing. You know, we don't want to read a novel when we read a text or an email, we we do want to just get the, to the heart of the communication. And then you, I've, I've seen you, you talk a lot about um, brevity as being the heart of it. And uh, being one of those people who doesn't read past the first line of an email ever, oh, geez. ever read. And, I mean, <laughs> you've got to really say, look, read below for more information, else I'm not going to read below for more information because I'm too busy. To read to to read all that, so um, just give us some of your back some some of your thoughts on what makes for effective communication. Sure, I actually love when you opened up with Robert Kiyosaki's uh, that what if it's your fault that people aren't getting back to you? And when I do these trainings, uh, and I do lots of trainings with companies and governments and other organizations on how to write to busy people, read and respond, uh, I start with. Uh, have you ever had this experience where you someone asked you, didn't you read the thing? And everyone's hand goes up. And then have you ever gone up to people and been like, incredulous, didn't you read the thing? And the people that hadn't read the thing. Uh, we all have this experience. And the radical take, and this book is co-authored with Jessica Lasky-Fink, my colleague and co-author on lots of this research, like... We want the radical orientation is what if it's always your fault? Yeah. If as the writer, 
Like, what if you, what if we just take full responsibility? If we send someone something, whether it's a report, a proposal, a sales pitch, uh, a memo, an email, a text, a Slack, and they didn't read it, what if it's our fault? Because we, what if we just accept that it's always us? And then with that orientation, then we, we orient and we're like, well, okay, so here's the reality. They are busy. They are skimming. And so how do we write to accommodate the reality of how they're reading? They are not reading in the way that we were taught to write in English class in school. No, and that's I, sort of the, that's the orientation. It, 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 it's totally true. I, I think that we, we we're too bombarded um, by too many communications. And if you're going to deal with that, uh, you know, people that I deal with all the time say, well, I can never read my emails. I'm going, well, I think you're reading them wrong. Firstly, um, because I read all my emails, but I read them in like three seconds. That's what I read. And that's why I say I don't get past that first line. And unless you tell me you need to read past this first line, right? I'm not going to read past this first line because to me, if you can't say it in that one line, it must not be that important to you to put it into concise enough language that it value that that it's valuable to me. I love it. I mean, Tom, that's a pretty <laughs> a pretty strong take, but and I will write emails differently to you even though I'm pretty committed to it. But but I actually think that we'll get back let's let's get back to that because I actually think that there aren't ironclad laws of how we should write okay. because but there are general principles of how people read. And and we should accommodate that. But but the real answer is we need to talk to the people we're communicating with and see how they want to be communicated with. But one of the principles which you've pointed to a couple of times is less is more. And so Jessica and I have run lots of these randomized controlled experiments where I'll describe an example of one. Uh, and I'll describe an example of a, of a couple where we half the people get one message, the other half get a like pretty radically shortened message. And so here's one example is during the pandemic, we scraped the web email addresses from the web, the email addresses of 7,000 elected school board members. And then email, and we wanted to ask them to fill out a survey. And in one condition, I wrote a nice message saying, it's, you're important. I appreciate you. Other people should appreciate you. Thank you for all you're doing. You have a terrible, hard job of being a school board leader. Um, so thank you. We please fill out my survey. In the other condition, I just said, you do a hard job. I appreciate you. Will you please fill out my survey? Uh, cut it by two thirds. People read both predictors, read both and predicted the longer one would be much more effective. Almost everybody predicted it. And then we ran an experiment and more than double response rates when we cut it in half yep. uh, or by two thirds. We've done this even, I mean, with lots and lots of versions, everyone, all, people always think longer is better. They think more detail is better. And and we've never found that to be the case. We always find that removing stuff makes it more likely people will read and respond. Can I just tell you one more example, one more funny experiment? Yeah, go for it. So uh, working with a large federal political committee, so think one of the two major parties in the United States, uh, they had 750,000 donors on their email list, and they were writing a uh, fundraising email. And I proposed, why don't you arbitrarily delete every other paragraph? So they they deleted every other paragraph. So it didn't even make sense anymore. You read it and it's incoherent, but it's half as long. And it still raised 16% more money. Like we just never found that, that more is better. 
Well, so so here's my take on that. I, I think when we send a communication, we are asking for something in return. And what we're asking for is their time. And I think the time has become the most valuable commodity in the world right now. And so if, if we require more of their time, we're it's actually like we're you, you just halved the price of reading that email. You you cut the price in half. Uh, you know, from an economic standpoint, because our time is is money to us and our time is our most valuable commodity and we never get it back. And so to me, if you if you write a long email, to me, that's it, it shows a lot of hubris that you think you're so important that you deserve that much of my time. And I'm going, wait a minute, my time's important, at least as important as your time. So I, I, you know, why don't you take more time and cut it down. I, I, it's, I, it is interesting. So that experiment, one of the experiments I just described, the one about school board members, right. we we had people read them and then all, in addition to predict which would be more effective, also say, uh, which like read them and, and estimate which one will the survey be longer? Will the survey take more time? And when we when the email was shorter, people thought the action we were requesting was gonna be faster because we thought that we valued their time. Or right. in the other condition, the long one, it's obvious we don't care about your time. Therefore, the right. survey is probably gonna be interminable. Yep. Um, they, I mean, I, I like I like the the real directness. I mean, you're all of your intuitions, I, like I, I, uh, I share. The, it is kinder, in addition to being more effective, yes. it is just kinder and more respectful to the reader to write in a way that, is easy for them to get through. And, and and again, when we talk about it, we'll say, if I send you a message that would take you four minutes to read, and let's say you really are going to read it, although I know, Tom, you're not. But but if I send you a message that's going to take you four minutes to read, and I could have edited it so it could be one minute, I have just wasted three minutes of your time. Right. In addition to you being less likely to read it in the first place, even if you do read it, it's just unkind and unkind tax. No, I, I agree. I think you're asking a lot. And, and, and the reality is, here's what we all know. It's harder to write the shorter piece than it is to write the longer piece. It's it's like if you go to, so, you know, um, coding right now is a big deal, right? I mean, whether it's AI or whatever, you're coding. Uh, the, the, because we have such huge memories on our computers, uh, uh, coding is sloppy. It didn't used to be sloppy. When we had 40 megabyte hard drives, right? Coding was really tight, and, and it, but it's hard to do that. It's hard to write a really concise text or email. But what's interesting to me, so help me understand this, Todd. We're in the world of tweets, texts, things that we, we only have a certain number, a certain number of words, and we know we have to do that in a certain number of words. Why is it when we get a, a form like an email, or a letter or something where we can write longer that we just like automatically write longer instead of why not, why not tweeting it? So you're, it's harder to write shorter messages. There's this, this famous quote often attributed to Mark Twain, but attributed to everybody, every smart person is that I'm sorry, this is so long. I would have written you a shorter message if I'd had more time. Mm -hmm. um, I love it because it acknowledges that, it's, it would have been better. It's unkind to you. It would have been better if it had been shorter. It also takes time to be shorter. Um, your, your question about why, let's let's go back to, uh, I'm going to write differently for you when I write to you next. And the 
the challenge for a writer to a busy reader is what the norms are. And if you know who you are, you know the norms of the person you're writing to and you know what's expected, then it ends up being to- like clear. So I love the U.S. Army has a, uh, a regulation called uh, that is commonly called bluff. Bottom line up front. I'm sure you have some veterans who are listen, listeners. Bottom line up front. A general writing to an enlisted person. First line of, of anything. Bottom line. An enlisted person communicating to a general. First line is the bottom line. What's amazing about that, it makes, makes it completely clear to everybody. This is how we write. It's But under normal conditions, without that norm, without that regulation, a, a much lower status person communicating to a much higher status person, it might be seen as too aggressive or too direct to have the first line. Uh, Tom, we've never emailed. So here, I mean, let's imagine we've never emailed and I send you a message and be like, I disagree with something I heard on the pod. I'd like to talk to you. You're like, what? <laughs> not that's your that's my one line. Uh, instead, it's going to be, I, I, I've been following the pod for a while. I really like the work you do. I admire it. Uh, you don't know anything about me, but I'm whatever, whatever, whatever. There's something I was a little, and then all of a sudden you've deleted it because I now know your norms, but it's really hard as a lower status person. So I, when I, when I train leaders of organizations, like we talk about the principles of writing for busy people, but then we also talk about how do we get our organization to establish clear norms? Because then it makes it more effective for everybody but especially for lower status people or people who don't know the norms, because they end up in addition to having more words and being like having to be more deferential, being less effective in the process of of writing in this way. Yeah. But let let me, let me go to your example. Okay. Yeah. I get 20 emails with those exact words. I've been watching you. I like what you do, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just going blah, 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 toss. Because all you're doing is kissing. I mean, to me, that's just a kiss up, right? I'm going. Some people like it though. Some readers, some readers want some kind of deference. Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Typically, I I will tell you this. Typically, not your financial professionals don't want that. What they want is, I I love it. It's the bluff. Bottom line up front. Give me the bottom line, because guess what? Tell me the bottom line, and then I'll decide from what your conclusion of what the bottom line is, whether I want to read it. Let me give you an an, an example that I just got in my inbox the other day. And this is actually from one of my staff. They'll probably listen to this podcast. So um, if they're offended, I'll apologize up front. Um, But they know me enough to know this is, I'm just pretty direct. Um, So they send me this analysis. And the analysis never really tells me the bottom line. It says, well, we think it might save you know, 10% of some people's time. We, we don't know which people's time it saves 10% of. And uh, in the end, it will probably save us, you know, $5,000 a year. And I'm just going, so we're going to go through this major upheaval in the company for $5,000 a year. Are you kidding me? And I'm just going, so what you, t- not only did you not tell me the bottom line up front, you told me you don't know the bottom line, which tells me you didn't take the time to really do the analysis or you weren't committed enough to your analysis to actually stick your neck out and say, here's what it is and here's what it means. And so to me, effective communication has got to start with, and I realize I'm more direct than most people, um, but effective communication has to start with what matters to the person you're writing to. What one of the principles is emphasize what the reader cares about, but the um, but I do. There's something interesting in this story, which is it sounds like 
the writing that this person did was to clarify their own thinking. The writing was the analysis phase, which is an important role that writing has, is to clarify our own thinking. Sure. But that's not what we share with people. Right. What we share with people is the magic of writing, not to clarify our own thinking, but to get an idea from our heads. I mean, it really, like we step back, it's incredible. I think something, I type some stuff. And then that idea ends up in your head without us ever interacting. It's magic. And, and that's a different pro, that's a different goal and a different function for writing than the clarifying their own thinking. It sounds like they should have written that. And then they're like, oh, to tell Tom, Tom, we say $5,000. There's a lot of work. I would have liked, and it sounds like you would have too, the analysis of what, uh, and of a recommendation of whether this is worth doing, but they may not think that's their job just to present it. But either way, the key info, five grand and a lot of upheaval. What do you think we should do, Tom? Yeah. And I'm just going, what do you think we should do? Why, why, why would you even send that to me in the first place? Uh, because you've just, you've just said it's not worth it. That's what you've said to me. You've said it's not worth it. Um, so how do you, um, when you think about what's important for the reader, okay, because it is, obviously it is different. I mean, we all have different natural instincts. Mine is bottom line, mine is simplicity. Um, that is my natural instinct. We all have different national instincts. How do you, how do you get there? In other words, how do you decide, okay, this person, I'm going to do it differently than this person, this person, especially if you don't know the person. Yeah. You, I mean, that's, uh, that's a challenge for everything. It's perspective taking. We're not awesome at it, <laughs> at, but I do want to like, like when I say that I, I get that you want the first line to be the bottom line. Awesome. The risk, if I don't know you, is the uncertainty that you may think I'm being too direct. So what I do with every communication is like I try to include some kind of hum, human warmth to start. I, I'm looking for something better than I hope you're well, but it's got to be concise, like super duper short. So it's like, Tom, uh, Big fan of the podcast, period. Then next, then like, want to know if we can, whatever, whatever, whatever. So that way, like, at least I have, if, in case you want to know that I respect you and am, 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 am human, I want to convey some warmth. But there is a trade-off of conciseness and warmth. Your, your question is about like, how do we better per take the perspective of the reader? Uh, this is one of the things that I think a lot about organizations like companies and uh, military and, and governments uh, this is why I'm making it really clear. This is when new people get onboarded or as teams, how do we communicate so that it's not a diverse set of different norms? It's like a standardized set of norms. If I don't know you, I, I got to do my best. And simple, simple is the answer. Like the big takeaway, the TLDR version of the book, Writing for Busy Readers that Jessica and I wrote. And for those of you who are not teenagers or uh, or millennials, TLDR is too long, didn't read. Uh, the TLDR version of the book is we should add a round of editing to everything we write, asking ourselves, how do I make it easier for the reader? And there's a bunch of other things that we could talk about, about how to make it easier. But the easier we make it for the writer, the more effective we will be at achieving our goals and the kinder we are to our readers. It's a win-win. No, I, I agree. So I, I actually believe every communication is a sales. It, it, it's, it, you're, you're attempting to sell them on, first of all, reading your communication. And second of all, you're trying to get them, presumably you're either delivering information, which is the easy part, 
or you want them to act on it. Okay. And acting is a sales process. That is a sales process. And to me, simple is always a better sales process. I mean, we've all been in to the, to, you know, we've all been into the department store or we've been into the jeweler. And I, I remember a time years ago and I go into this jewelry store and I'm with my wife and, uh, and, and the, I, I just want to buy something, you know, I mean, I, pretty specific as to what I want to buy. And they go on and on and on and on and, and try to, and just push and push and push and push. And, and my, my wife just says, okay, let's go. Because she knew that they had passed the point of no return. So actually had um, so much oversold it that they convinced me not to buy it. Okay. And, and so what do you, tell me your thoughts on that, because I, I'd like to hear your thoughts of, because I do think we can over, we, we can push so hard that no longer, somebody was already sold. Let them buy. Why are we continue to push? Yeah, I mean, one, the principle that we talk about in the book on this is called make responding easy. But I just, in your example, I do want, um, I do want to diagnose it in one way, which is it's very similar to that initial message to elected school board members that we said, where they're, you said, I want this. And they went on about the origin of the diamond and the carrots and whatever else. And you're like, oh my God, the next steps are probably also not easy. You made some inference that if it's this hard for me to say, I like it, it's probably going to be 45 minutes before I can just leave here. And so like you're making these, these other inferences about how they must not value my time or think that this is part of the process. Okay. But make responding easy. Uh, I'm a behavioral scientist, so I do lots of randomized experiments on getting people, how do, how do we change people's behavior for the better? Uh, and some of the some of the principles of how do we make it easy, we reduce friction. You might think Amazon's one click, which when it was patented, and they have a patent on it, apparently, uh, that's patentable. But the Amazon one click is estimated to be worth 10, tens of billions of dollars. That like making it that easy for people to to reduce the number of steps to purchase something is incredibly valuable because it increases sales. So reducing friction, reducing the number of steps required. There's lots of research that I and others have done on when you make, when you reduce the number of steps to take an action, you make people more likely to do it. You put all the relevant info next to each other. So in addition to reducing friction, reducing the number of steps. And the final one is like, just like reduce the cognitive effort. Here's one that will be very familiar to you and to all the listeners. There are three of us on a chain, an email chain. I say, let's find a time that works. These are six times that work. The next person replies, I can do the second, but not the fourth of them. And then the third person joins on and is like, and like in order for them to reply, they have to then go back through the original chain of messages and figure out what was the second and what was the fourth. So if we want to make it easy, if we make it easy for people, it makes it more likely they're going to respond. So that principle is basically reducing friction, making it easier, makes it more likely people will do well, stuff. Just, I, I think an easy way to think about this is how would you communicate with your three-year-old? Because, <laughs> because you would not give your three-year-old six options. You would give your three-year-old two options. Do you want this or that? Because if you give them six options, they're like, what? And honestly, 
I, I, I'm, I'm like that myself. I mean, don't give me six options. I don't want six options. Give me two. Give me, you know, you want this or this, or I mean, otherwise it's like, you want, you want me to decide I'll, I'll do that too. Right. You want me it's to funny. decide? No problem. But it, it, why six you've options? Got, you've got exact, I mean, every intuition you're describing is spot on on this, which is uh, we have all these experiments where when you add additional in not just options, but requests. Let's say I'm requesting you to do A, B, and C. If I just asked you to do A, it would be more likely you do A than if I say, do you please do A, B, and C. The more we add, the less likely people are to do any of it. And so just this is another version of simplification. Just the easier we make it, the more likely they are to, to respond. But I just I, on that one, I do want to just sort of push, which is the burden again comes back to us. Like we have to prioritize. If A, B, and C are not all equally valuable or important for us, then we need to purge the ones that are less less important because the more you add, the less likely it is someone's going to respond to any one of them. I like it. Now I'm going to I'm going to ask you the obvious question. I think, yeah. which is how 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 do we use AI um, to facilitate this? Because to me, um, a, a, AI is such an, an amazing tool because there's so much of communication that really is repetitive communication. And to me, the repetitive communication, AI can handle that. Okay. So whether it's delivering facts, information, that's repetitive stuff. Um, AI can do that at least as well as I can do it and can save me a bunch of time where I can focus more on the relationship aspects of the communication, which doesn't happen until you've got two or three communications down the road. You're still dealing with facts until you can get to a relationship. So how do you see AI doing this? Sure. I um, I want to jump to, we on our website, we actually trained GPT-4 uh, on the principles of busy of how to write so busy people read and respond. And we have a little tool that get thousands of people use now every day for uh for rewriting emails, it's trained on emails. So we've give us, the, yeah. give us the name of your tool. I mean, let's let's yeah, it's awesome. It's it's uh, www.writingforbusyreaders.com and yeah. then backslash AI, and it's it's a free tool. But it's it's incredible as like a twenty four seven coach on writing this way, and and you know you, you don't have to do it that many times to be like, oh yeah, I guess that could have been a list, or oh I, I yeah that, you're right that is an inessential detail. It's not the final word. Anyone who uses ChatGPT knows that like it makes mistakes. Uh, but it, but it's in, I, even I run my stuff through because I still learn from like oh I, I guess that wasn't I didn't have to say all that or I could have said it this in a more simple language. But but that's that's the applied tool. www.writingforbusyreaders.com/backslash/ai. Um, but but the higher level is, I think that in the end, if we want readers, human readers, to read it. Which is eventually we might have like, you know, AI write to AI that will then do whatever. But if we want human readers to read what we're writing, then we're still constrained by the limits of how people read. And given those constraints, people skim. And there are some principles for how we can make it easier for skimmers. And so then we need to write in a way that accommodates that. And at present, like ChatGPT is trained on the way we have written on the web and in all our sort of natural language writing. Uh, which isn't written according to these principles, but it will be. I mean, and that's what our our trained tool is trained on. And I'm talking with the, you know, the other, we'll say, uh, email and uh, like writing company, technology companies about incorporating this into their tools. Uh, 
But for now, to the extent that we want humans to read it, we need to write it so it's easy for them. And that's what these principles are for. But I would like—I I think that your your listeners would enjoy the the tool. It's in, it's incredibly fun as a coaching tool, just to see how it would suggest rewriting things. That 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 sounds terrific. So so let's let let's finish up with what are two what are a couple of those principles that um you know if you were to be very concise, let's leave our listeners with something very concise as to a, a couple of things that they can do. Um, right off the bat to make their communication more effective for the reader? Less is more. That's the first one. It has a couple of components, which is like fewer words, fewer ideas, and fewer requests. So less is more. Just We need to add, insert a round of edit to make it easier for ourselves. So less is more. The second, make reading easy. We haven't really talked about this, but smaller, shorter, common words, shorter, easy to read sentences. And the idea is that the lower the the mental effort required to read it, the less likely people are to quit on us. And really, that's what we're fighting. We write to you, Tom, or any other busy person, is we're trying to we're we're trying to can get through before you give up on us. So that the second is make reading easy. That means write simply with what we write. And if we're gonna, I'll just uh, a third that I like that we Give haven't talked uh, that we haven't talked about is designed for navigation. That means think about your writing, not just as a a continuous flow of words, but as something that people are going to jump around. That means add headings, use structure, and make it easy to signpost so so they can navigate it. This isn't going to be true for text message, although I now write with bullets in text message, but make it easy for skimmers by designing it, not just writing it. So I I will tell you, I, I love anything. I love any message to me with bullets. Because it tells me that you've thought about how to put it into concise messages. If if I'm going to read beyond one line, it's because there's bullets. Or, can I, or can I, yeah. one, two, and three. Can I, yes, totally. One, two, three is great because it actually there's a logic to it, which is that these are separate, distinct ideas, maybe even sequential, but not necessarily. Um, one thing that that as we thought... I professionally think a lot about how do we write more effectively. And so there's no reason a normal person would have really thought hard about bullet points, but I have, Jessica and I have. And one thing that's interesting with bullet points is it does not help a skimmer to read and understand what you wrote if all you did was put the sentences in bullets, right? Because they still have to read the sentences to figure out what the bullet is about. And so one of the little sub rules that we have that I think is really like, I did not realize before until we thought about it is if you're going to have a long ish, I say more than 10 word bullet, you should have a little summary, two or three words in the front of the bullet. So a skimmer can know they can skip it if they don't care about that topic. Right. And like, I just, the bullet doesn't help skimmers unless it helps them speed through what you're, what you wrote. And so adding little, I mean, these are little micro things. I know the high level, we talk about three things. It's funny that you're, you're saying, some people need to have a bullet for a bullet. I mean, uh, but, that's really what you're saying. And I was just going, are you or a title? Give me the bullet in the first place. <laughs> I, oh, yes. But but like often we we organize it. It's a bull. Well, yeah, I don't have to defend myself. You get what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, I love it. I I, I I totally love it. You know, um, Einstein reportedly said, I don't know if it's true, but he reportedly said that uh uh, any six-year-old can um, explain something to a genius, but it takes a genius to explain something to a six-year-old. And and I love when you talk about uh, using smaller words 
simpler words. Um, I, I, I saw one of your articles where you talked about Hemingway and you said, well, look, he wrote to a fourth grade level and he won a Pulitzer Prize for writing to a fourth grade level. And I, I, I think that's a key. I'm going, why are we trying to, to me, it's just self-aggrandizing if we're using these big complicated words where we're really not helping the reader. And I think often we include those I, I wish I had a fast phrase for grandiose verbiage uh, because we think people will think better of us. And I don't think it's universally true, but the only research that exists on this topic suggests that people think we are less intelligent if we use unnecessarily fancy language, mm. which is great. Like it is so funny because we put it, it has exactly the ironic effect. Like I want to, you know, when we were in high school or college, we incorporated unnecessary like technical terms to thinking probably mistakenly now that I'm a professor thinking mistakenly that our professors would be impressed, but it turns out that people see through it. You know, when, when I, if I write you something in really complex language, it either implies that I didn't understand the concepts clearly enough to make it easy for you to understand, or I'm trying to, I'm try, I'm a try hard trying to impress you. I like that a try hard. Um, all right. So the uh, book is writing for busy readers and the website is writing for busy readers.com. I, I love that again, simple. I like it to the point. Um, uh, this has been uh, with Todd Rogers and the wealth ability show and uh, uh, Todd, anything else you'd like our, our listeners to know anything else you, you'd like to share with how to find out more about your work and what you're doing. This has been fun, but I will, and I will end on the same thing we've been saying to make it really simple. We should add a round of editing to everything we write, where we ask ourselves, how do I make it easier for the reader? It's more effective for us. It's kinder for the reader and it's more accessible to more people. I, I, I love it. I, I, I truly love it. I, I, I practice a lot um, actually on TikTok because TikTok, um, whether you love it or hate it, you've got 30 seconds. And you've got to be able to explain a concept in 30 seconds. And so to me, it, it, it makes my communication tighter uh, to, be, to have to do that. And I think anything that we can do to force ourselves to be more concise to the point, to, to make our point early um, and uh, realize that every communication is a cell, I, I think what will happen is, um, like we say, a wealth ability, it'll always result in way more money and way less tax. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.